What is up, everybody? Happy Friday and welcome into the All-NBA Show, part of the All-City Podcast Network. We got a great one lined up for you today as we talk about John Morant, 2-0, the Memphis Grizzlies in the John Morant era. We're going to talk about the Thunder, who nabbed another impressive win. Uh, they're starting to rack up impressive wins in the Western Conference. And we're also going to talk about the Pistons, who have not racked up a win since October. So we got them to go through as well as a great weekend slate for you. I'm your host, Adam Matas, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Legs, how you doing on this Friday? I'm doing great, man. Looking at the uh, slate last night, and there are, there are a lot of interesting team storylines right now. Um, some, some teams yep. have flipped the script a little bit from earlier in the year, and then we got the Pistons, which, which we'll get to, which <laughs> have not flipped the script in a long time. Same script for them, for sure. Um, there's even, I mean, we might even have to touch on teams like the Cavaliers who have flipped the script in the wrong direction. So we might have time to get to a couple of those as well. But first, got to tell you, we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. And don't forget to check out We'll have a special Christmas edition of the show where we run through all the Christmas games. Uh, that should be in your podcast feed as well as up on YouTube over the weekend. But first, Legs, we have to start with our story today, which is John Morant gets a, and the Memphis Grizzlies get another win this week. And he was a huge part of it. There was a run. This game was back and forth. Uh, and the Grizzlies made a run to close out the third quarter that featured a lot of John Morant, a lot of Zaire Williamson. Uh, and they went on just kind of this overwhelming run to put this game away, go up 16 points in about a four-minute stretch. What did you see from this one that stood out? Here's what stood out to me. You know, we're, we're first of all, we, you and I didn't get a chance to even talk about John Morant's debut. Um, right. Because of the timing of the show, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. I mean, how spectacular he was in that first game, and including a game winner at the buzzer. You, you know, you really can't overstate how impressive it is to sit there all season, not play, whatever reps you're getting in, you're getting in, you know, in a practice court. Um, and to come out there and dominate the game to the extent that he did and play like a superstar his first night out, no, nobody had any reasonable expectation to expect something like that, right? right? I mean, he could have been horrible that night. You know, we all would have just chalked it up to, it's going to take time. Instead, he comes out, he's the best player on the floor, wins the game at the buzzer, and gives them the swagger back, right? That's what it really comes down to. You can 100%. see the way the team reacts to him. They walk out of the tunnel. They go into the court. When John Morant's on their team, they think we've got the best player potentially on the court tonight. We, we've got that guy. And it gives their entire team confidence. And also tangibly what he does with the amount of pressure he puts on with inability to keep him out of the paint and the way he finishes at the rim, it just creates a lot of space and free freedom of, of uh, movement and flow for everybody else offensively. So that's kind of what I saw last night. His numbers weren't as good statistically, right. but the pressure that he is constantly putting on and the number of people that you better commit to the paint um, or he's going to be finishing at will leads to opportunities for other people. And, you know, Adam, what standing out to me last night was I'm looking at John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Desmond Bain. I'm going, all right, we always talk about, you know, this three that you need – that's pretty darn good, man. You've got really? a top shelf point guard, right? You've got an all-league talent at the point. Right. You've got one of the best pure shooters in the NBA at the wing. 
who's, who's you know pretty yeah. much on a bad night giving you 20 good nights 30 plus and then you've right. got this two-way uh multi-dimensional big that's one of the best defensive players in the league and also capable of giving you 20 and can step out and shoot the basketball i'm watching it last night and i'm just saying i really like some parts on this team and i'm curious to see now that jaw's back with with enough time i think to get really interesting in the west how about you so there was a lot there, kind of a lot to unpack. I'm going to start with your John Morant point, though, because this was my top takeaway. There are players who, like Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, they affect the style of play as much as anyone, and maybe even more than John Morant. I don't know if there's a player in the NBA that personifies the personality of a team like John Morant, because if you ask me, What's wrong with the Memphis Grizzlies? We can get into the X in his nose. Is there enough rim pressure? Can they score and this or that? Where do they, who do they play through? We can get through all that. But there's also just this confidence factor and the swagger factor and how you carry yourself factor that when you watch the Memphis Grizzlies these last two games, they have an edge to them, like a real edge. And it's all John Morant, the way he plays, the way he attacks you. Um, so for me, those, those things are underrated. Legs, guys like you and me, we like to talk about X's and O's and break down the plays, but it's underrated sometimes when it's like we have our guy, we have our confidence, and we have our presence back. And that's what the Memphis Grizzlies feel like, a team that has presence now. And a lot of this is if we go, if we tie that now to the X's and O's, there are a couple different ways to generate offense, to, you know, pick and roll, a good two-man game, or play out of the post, or it's it's a team action, some kind of concept. John Morant doesn't need anything. He's so quick and so dynamic that he creates rim pressure without a play. Just, just go at the rim, and, he, and he's one of the few guys that can get the defense to collapse. And in that run, the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth, Jaw was just getting into the paint. I'm surprised he only had eight assists because he had so many plays where he got into the paint and just got the ball where it needed to go, and maybe it swung, hockey assist or whatever. But to me, that was the story of this game is he collapsed the defense, found the open guy like, 15 times in a row and they built that big lead. Yeah. I think people, I, I think sometimes forget, you know, about this guy's passing ability. It was the thing that stood out to me when he was coming out in the draft. And now why I thought he was a can't miss prospect in the first place was because of his passing. He just had a poise about him with his vision and his ability to pass even out of double teams and pass through traffic. He always, he always was thinking one step ahead of the defense at the collegiate right. level. So I, I just said, you know what, when you combine that, with this otherworldly athletic ability, you now have a guy that is is going to be, you know, doing damage in the NBA for a long time. So the passing was on display last night. I thought he had more assist than that too when I saw the box score at the end of the game because the ball always went to the right place. Here's yep. here's where I think he's he's so dynamic, Adam, is because of his bounce and he hangs in the air so long that it, you know, first of all, if you have smaller lineup on the floor, forget it. And the Warriors saw this firsthand in the playoffs when they played against him. He's going up and guys are dropping. He's still in the air. If you don't have legitimate 6'10 and up shot blockers back there that can right. time it better. And Indiana's got one of those in Miles Turner, but he spends a lot of time on the perimeter defensively. Um, if you don't have that, if you're small, forget it. But even if you're big, because of his ability to bounce, hang in the air, manipulate the ball, draw contact, still stay in the air, you have to commit so much help so that he sees so much traffic. That, he, that yeah. there are no gaps in teams. Now there's just all kinds of passing lanes open to him. And, and that's what it does for their team. And look, you know, Indiana has not been the same team since the in-season tournament ended. We know that. Um, didn't look particularly good last night. I didn't think Halliburton played very well last night. He had some really bad misses with his jump shot. 
just doesn't look quite the same. So, look, Memphis took advantage of that. They were at home. A lot of juice for Ja playing his home opener. Um, but I'm watching them, and all I'm thinking about is, man, like, I know they were 6-19. and Is there enough time, Adam, for them to start to climb? You know, you don't have to – you're not going to do it overnight, but I'm saying over a period of the next couple right. of months, okay, yep. between now and today, the end of All-Star Weekend, does this team have enough – to start climbing the rungs in that ladder in the West and get back into at least, you know, where you're in play-in territory and potentially trying to, you know, which everybody wants to do is get at least that six spot. Right. The The key is you can't afford any slip-ups, right? Because if you go on a little losing streak here and that number then all of a sudden climbs as the game's left r- remaining shrinks, that that's where it really hurts. But right now they're on a run. They have a little magic to them. They have a little momentum. And I just think that part is so important that you just – you close the gap a little bit. You're not going to close it all, all the way, but close it with a little bit of a, of a win streak so that it looks more attainable. And I'll tell you, when I mentioned just the swag or the presence that they have, that team last night did not look like a team that felt this was insurmountable. They look like a team that was like, we're going to close this gap by January. You know, they just have a mission to them. And here's another thing about the game last night that stands out, Legs. They started Bismack Biombo and Vince Williams Jr., second-round pick last, last season. You really have that big three you're talking about, John Morant, Desmond Maine, and Jaron Jackson, and then role players all along. I mean, Santi Aldama played 25 minutes last night and was phenomenal, by the way. Hit a couple yeah. of big shots in that fourth quarter stretch. But this is a team that has a bunch of guys that are pretty narrow in their roles. And I actually think that works to their advantage, given their talent. They have guys that are just shooters. They have guys that are just defenders and rebounders. And I actually think, given the talents that they have, Jaron Jackson, John Morant, and Desmond Bain, I actually think that works in their advantage. And it makes me wonder when Marcus Smart comes back, does he change that a little bit? Because he's not a guy that likes to be just a defender or just this. He he kind of likes to do everything. You know, another guy too, and you're glad you're going up and down their roster. You know, Zaire Williams is a guy I really like. He's he's got those lively legs, um, yeah. gets out runs and transition. He's a perfect complimentary wing to play with John Morant with the way he pushes the basketball. Zaire Williams loves to run and be the recipient of some of those lobs. He had a great game last night. He, he had two impact. big threes. He had two big threes, one to end the third quarter, kind of a buzzer beater. I think there was two seconds left. And then one he banked in on the first possession in the fourth quarter. Two big threes that were a, a huge part of why they won that game. Huge. And you're right. And, and, and that's he's become more consistent in that area. Um, really was mainly a slasher, baseline kind of runner and dunker. Now he's, he's, he's rounding himself into a more versatile all-around player. But another guy that, that's not playing, you saw him last night in street clothes, Luke Kennard. Is another guy. Right. I mean, you flat out shoot it. I mean, this is a guy that's going to shoot forty plus percent from three point line when he comes back. It's and it's another spacer and another weapon. He's only played eight games this year, so they've got guys sitting there still that like they're going to get deeper and they're going to get better as we go. So the question really is going to come down to like their, their schedule and can they you know can they do this against look New Orleans at New Orleans that that's that's a solid win. Uh, New Orleans a little bit inconsistent. Indiana at home, it's a decent win. Indiana's not playing great. They don't They're guard really anybody. Um, but that, then it gets tougher, right? Now, now, and that's what you're talking about. Right now for them, it can't be like two steps forward, two back, or two steps right. forward, three back. Or it can't be up and down. It's almost got to be like, you know, win three, lose one, win two, lose one, win three, lose one, like that. If you want to start to climb in the West and make up the kind of ground you're going to have to after the start, so they've got four games straight coming up on the road: Atlanta, New Orleans, Denver, and the Clippers. I mean, that's a oh man, that's tough. Stretch. 
pretty tough stretch. All four of those games, Atlanta puts up big numbers, so you got to come with that. And then, you know, they just beat New Orleans, so now they, they got to go back there. You figure New Orleans probably be up for that game, considering they just lost to them. And then you got to go to Denver and the Clippers, and then you get Sacramento at home. So th- th- this next five, very important to not stall their momentum. I'm very curious to see how they handle it with Ja back. I know it's so early in the year to start saying, you know, you you must win X amount or whatever. But if you just look at those five games you mentioned at Atlanta, at New Orleans, at Denver, at Clippers, and then home against Sacramento, that rounds out 2023. Do you think they need to go like I'm looking at it eight, 19. They kind of need to go three and two. If you go three and two through that stretch, then it's like, okay, your season's good. If you go one and four. I mean that they're already six games back. If you end up going eight games back, you know, I just I, I know it's weird to say, but we're already in that territory for me. Yeah, no, that, I think that's fair to say. You know, you know, two and three, three and two. You know, certainly you can't go one right. and four during the stretch. You just cannot. You know, you you drop one game, one more game under five hundred. If you if you somehow go two and three, I think you you know you can survive that. A very tough four you know four game road trip against those teams. You, you, yeah. you come out of that with Sacramento, get them at home. You go two and three during that stretch, three and two would be would be great. Four and one, obviously, now you're really talking. I think we're, we're all going to be talking. They do something yeah. like that. Um, it's just it's just interesting to inject a player this dynamic that is this impactful on his team. And when they've got some of these other pieces we're talking about, like at this time of the year, and he's fresh. He's not coming off an injury. That's the thing. Like, it's not like we're working him back in on a minutes restriction or, you know, because he, he's coming right. back for something. Right. Somehow. Surgery. He, yeah. He's, he, his legs his legs have more bounce in him right now than they've ever had. He feels so good <laughs> physically. So right. they're just fascinating because of the level of player we're talking about. It's such rare, uncharted territory to have a guy miss – this chunk of time at the start of the year when it's not injury related. And now you yeah. just inject it into the lineup and boom, here we go. So they, they, they're going to be a team now that I'm going to, you know, listen, he's, he's box office to watch. He's so, so entertaining to watch. Every night you get a wow moment, at least one, where you're kind of jumping out of your chair. He gives you that, but he gives you more than that. I mean, he's a winner. He's a winner the way that he plays. So I'm very curious now to watch them, and, and there'll be a team I'll be watching very, very closely as we go forward to see how interesting they can make it. And, look, no one thinks they're going to make a run through the West, but I just want to know, can they even get into that territory where they're safely in the play-in? Because right. now you've got John Moran on your team in that situation, win a couple of games or win a game, and now you're in a best of seven with somebody. And if you got John Moran on your team, you'll take your odds with that. 100%. And by the way, speaking of job, my final note on this game, we talked about earlier in the year, we've been talking a lot about Tyrese Maxey and De'Aaron Fox and how quick they are. And we keep using the phrase, they're as quick as anybody in the league. I don't think so. I think John Morant's the quickest guy in the NBA. I think he might, just watching him over these last couple games, his best burst to me is probably on a tier all its own. At least that's what I think. I know Fox, Maxey, Jaw, those three guys might be one, two, three, but I think Jaw's one. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I was so uh, I was so excited to see him play in person for the first time a couple of years ago when they came into Philly, and um, I was so hyped for that game. It was Embiid and Morant. They were two MVP candidates at the time, the way Ja was playing, and Memphis came in the only time they're going to come. And, I'm, of course, this is load management era, so I'm worried. Oh, my gosh, is Ja going to play tonight? I'd be so disappointed. Right. Find out on the way down to the game, Ja's playing. Oh, they're going to give Embiid a night off. Now, he had played something like, I don't know, 15 to 20 straight games. 
But I didn't get that matchup. But I think Jai 44 in that game, um, you know, had several plays that, you know, where he's catching the ball up by the top of the square. And just to watch a guy that slightly built that size fly through the air like that uh, in a paint when it's, when it's congested, it's just fascinating to watch him because of it. Now, I do have major concerns on him. If there's one concern I have for him, it's always the same. When he takes off, you always worry. Is, is he going to yeah, land yeah. a certain way? Because he's coming from such heights, and he doesn't weigh very much. It doesn't take yeah. a lot of contact when he's in the air where he's landing on his back and maybe from a height where he catches himself with his wrist and he gets one of those injuries. So I know Memphis fans and coaching staff feel the same way. He's already had a couple of those injuries when he relentlessly attacks because he's so fearless. That is That is a concern for a guy like that. Can he take hits the way that he plays – land and keep getting up without missing an extended period of time. That's so that's another concern for them going forward. Uh, they're going to be interesting one. We'll take our first break on the other side. We want to get to the other game that we want to talk about in detail today, which is the Clippers and the Thunder. The Thunder keep rolling. Um, they keep notching up some big time wins, but the Grizzlies certainly an interesting storyline now where they were dead in the modder coming in. So we'll get to that on the other side. We also want to get to the Pistons. We want to talk about who won the week and then preview a really big week in the NBA uh, weekend coming up. All that more. But first, holiday season's coming up. I keep mentioning we have our betting special coming up. You guys want to keep stay tuned to our YouTube channel and our podcast app for that. Uh, but if you are just getting into sports gambling, Christmas Day is a phenomenal day to get in. You're on the couch, you're drinking some eggnog, you're having your your uh, your big meal, whatever it is is your routine. We'll also just throw down a little bet on the NBA games. You can keep one eye and see how your bets are doing, prop bets or single game bets. And right now, when you sign up and you bet five bucks on any NBA game, you get 150 instantly in bonus bets. No matter what happens, you don't even have to win your bet. It's just an instant dub just for you. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Right now, and use promo code All NBA. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just five dollars on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code All NBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text Hope NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 8887-897777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let's get to the other game that happened last night that we wanted to talk about. And actually, there's a handful, so we might bounce around a little bit here. But the Thunder picked up a win, 134-115, to 115, a blowout win against the L.A. Clippers. The L.A. Clippers have been on a roll. They snap a nine-game win streak for the Clippers. They were without Kawhi Leonard, who was resting up, but they did have Paul George back, as well as James Harden, uh, Russell Westbrook, and the rest of their cast. What stood out to you in this one, Legs? Uh, I just continue to be super impressed with Oklahoma City. You know, no Kawhi, you know, unfortunately, you're always going to kind of take things a little bit of a grain of salt when, when, when a guy at that level doesn't play. But the fact that Oklahoma City against a team, even without Kawhi, that has the components to be a good defensive team and they've got length and versatility, they've got quickness, um, and Oklahoma City just did what they wanted to do. They didn't have any problem whatsoever. Chad Holmgren continues to be so impressive. He, he just – He's, he's, he's starting to look like a guy that when you watch him, he looks like he's been in the league six, eight years. Yes, 100%. Like, 
<laughs> and, and that's the part that's kind of blowing me away. Everything he does is at his own rhythm. And that's how veterans play when they're very comfortable in their own skin and they don't have to prove themselves anymore. Like when you're an established vet in the league and you kind of know your lane as a player, and now you know, you've probably already gotten paid, you know, your first big deal, and you've been on, you know, various types of teams, and you're just comfortable in what you're doing out there, right? No pressure. You don't stress about anything. But it takes time to get to that point, and Chad Holmgren's already there. Like that's how he plays. He had a play last night. Everybody didn't see the game. Watch the highlights. The play where he drove into the middle of the lane, came to a two-footed jump stop, pump faked, defender flies by, and he has the wherewithal to throw the ball underhand off the backboard to himself to run in and dunk it. Like it, the kind of thing you see typically in an all-star game or something right. like that, and a few guys have pulled it off in a regular season game. Not a guy in his first year of NBA <laughs> action is not going to think about doing something like that but he had no doubt how that was going to turn out. He had a, he had a big three when the Clippers made a run on a, on a drawn kick where he caught the ball on the left wing, and it was pretty contested. And he just caught it and rose up just as easy as could be and effortless and, and drains a three. Another great night, nine for 11 for him, six boards, seven assists. Just another one of those Chet Holmgren nights. So he, he really stood out to me. Jalen Williams was really good last night. Of course, Shea at 31. And I just was impressed with how Oklahoma City – operated against a team that is equipped to be pretty good defensively. One of my notes for this one, Mark Dagnott, there's different types of coaches, but Mark Dagnott is the type that likes to, he, he tailors his game plan, I think, more than most coaches to the team they're playing. You know, some some coaches through the regular season, it's like we're working on what we do and we're going to focus in on this or this, but for the most part, we're not going to adjust night to night. He not only adjusts his strategy, but he also adjusts who plays and who doesn't. And I think that it's he's I think he's really good at that. I'm really good at knowing this is a game for this specific group of guys, for this group of guys. And last night, you know, you get a lot of minutes from Casey Wallace. You get you know Andrew Wiggins. You don't get any minutes from backup center Jalen Williams. You know, so he just seems to have his finger on the pulse of what works and what doesn't, and what the rotation should be. And I think that's an underrated advantage for a coach. Although I am curious what you think. Do you think teams in the regular season, it's more important to work on your identity and your things? Or do you think it's better for a team to adjust night by night and get used to the, the you know, those types of adjustments? What do you, what do you think is more important? Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely, I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. It's not one or the other. It's definitely both going on, but I've always been a big believer. You establish, you establish who you are, your identity, your style of play, the things that you know you do well you hone in on the things that you don't do as well. You continue to try to tweak, but more importantly, you do try to come up with a style of play and a barometer. I think all coaches are looking for a barometer. This is our gauge when we're playing well, and I'm going to judge everything against that. And that's what you're doing night to night. You just want to have more and longer stretches of that level where you're reaching your barometer for what you can be as a team when you max out. And every coach has to be honest about what that is. And then certainly within that, while you're working on who you are and, and, and you're you know, thinking, if we play well, it doesn't matter how the other team plays. Like, I think there is some of that mentality, which is what you're talking about. Like, let's do what we do well and make them kind of figure us out. Well, within that, obviously, you are trying to go down game by game. Get rid of one, you're moving right on to the next opponent, right? You're going to in film and in walkthrough and everything like that. And there's a handful of things. That's all. That's all you're getting. Four or five things 
for right. each opponent. Because all you're trying to do is, is, is reduce their efficiency in certain things that your opponent does well by like 10% across the board. Give me five things. I'm going to write them down, and we're going to try to, try to attack them and limit them in those five areas by 10%. We do that, we're going to have a great chance to win. That's really what you're doing when you play 82 games. you got four games a week. Next opponent's rolling through. But while all of that is going on, most of what you are talking about is your own team. Right. That's what you spend the most of the time on film. That's what you're trying to clean up when you're going through your practices and your walkthroughs and everything else. You're trying to continue to hone and trim the fat off of what you right. don't do well. And that's that's really what they are. And they're look, they're again, it's a big enough sample size now, Adam. They're not going anywhere. The Thunder uh-huh. are going to be in the mix in the top half of the West all year. They're they're a phenomenal team. And like I said, they have I'm I'm curious where their win profile stacks up against other teams because they have some like marquee signature wins under their belt. Denver, uh, you know, obviously they beat Golden State, they beat Dallas, they beat the Lakers. Um, they've actually beat Golden State three times. They beat Phoenix. So they just have some impressive wins under their belt already this year. And then getting the Clippers there, of course, they're just starting to stack up. But let me go back to my point and ask you, because you played for a handful of coaches. Was there a difference that you noticed in your coaches from some guys who really like to game plan 82 games and guys who maybe spent even less time? Is there a noticeable difference or is it that gap actually pretty small? Most coaches are the same in that approach. Uh, no, I, th- I th- no, I think that, I think it definitely varies. I, I think I played for guys on extreme both ends, and then most of them kind of fall in the middle. Like you're talking right. about, lumped into it. It's kind of the same with everybody. But then there are definitely I've definitely played for coaches that really did not focus much on the opponent. That the, the right. focus was really on us on a day to day basis, and you could tell by the depth, the detail, the scouting report, and the film. And these guys, man, the access that they have to now. If you're a player and you got a matchup, you know, when you can go home at night, grab your iPad and sit there and look at the guy you're going to have to guard and play head to head and watch a hundred clips of the, it's such an advantage that just the data and the visual reference that you have now for who you're going to play. I'm envious uh, more than anything, because I was definitely a guy that really prided myself in preparing for who I had to play against and what they were going to run and being one step ahead, thinking it, now, with all of that added advantage, I, I would imagine that you can really get honed in. But I, sometimes I watch in this league with these high-power offenses, Adam, and I wonder if coaches even think like there's not even that much you can do to limit <laughs> these things, right? So, it, so maybe it is more yeah. just about perfecting your own offense, right? And right. you're going to win these 31-20 games. Like that's right. what the league looks like now. I mean, if you look at the scores last night, there was a lot of 120 was kind of the winning number for, for last night's slate. Right. So maybe that's that's the new NBA. What was Lawler's Law? First to 100 wins. First to 120 yeah. wins now. You know, it's gone up. Um, the other game I want to touch on real quickly is just New Orleans beat the Cavs 123-104. I feel like this is a telling game in a lot of ways for both teams. But I want to actually talk about Trey Murphy, who got his first start last night. He's been with dealing with some injuries and different things. But he gets his first start last night. And he goes 10 of 16 from the field, 6 of 10 from 3 for 28 points. He was a plus 20. He's one of my favorite players. And Christian Clark, who covers them for NOLA.com, had a great uh, stat on him talking about how much he is driving to the basket this year compared to previous seasons. Three years ago, 1.1 drives per game. Last year, 3.3. This year, 5.5. 
So he keeps almost doubling his rate or, or, or you know, doubling the, the amount of drives he takes. And he's just becoming more and more competent at them. His efficiency on those drives has gone up every single season as the numbers have gone up. Trey Murphy, to me, I loved him at Summer League, his first Summer League. I don't watch college, so I don't ever get into college. But I loved him at Summer League and thought, this is a guy, where did he go in the draft? Mid-teens or early teens? And I thought, this guy's better than that. But I thought he was 3 and D. The fact that he is now comfortable putting the ball on the floor almost reminds me of Mikael Bridges, where it's like, hey, this guy has a lot to his game. He's not just a 3 and D guy. He can create for himself and for others. What do you think of Trey Murphy? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I know you've always, uh, from the first time we started talking about the league and getting ready to do this together, I know how much you, you've liked him. And I, I agree with you. What I've seen out of him is him understanding, look, you, you can be – you can be put into a box as a player, and it's fine. If you if you want to specialize in something, you can have a lo- really long career and, and make a lot of money and be on good teams and fill that mm-hmm. role. But if you really want to, you know, if you really want to make a splash, uh, you've got to continue to evolve and add if you can. Not everybody can. And so they decide to just hone in on what they really do well, and, and that's fine. And that's how you're going to be viewed from your own coaching staff and your own teammates. He's trying to be more than that, to your point. And I think that's what's been fun to watch about him because he has a really good stroke and he's he's been a good shooter from the beginning. But now he's finding other ways that he can you know, pick up some buckets. And I think in this league, the way it's set up, the way it's spaced, the lack of physicality on freedom of movement, there's no reason for you not to try to do that. There are, points, yeah. there are points to be had, man, on just yeah. running and cutting. Like you can get, you can find some space and find some gaps where you're not just relying on, on shooting a decent percentage from the three every night. And some nights you don't get those looks because teams stay home with you. And he's he's added to his game. They had an interesting night because they had 123 points with only one guy at 20. You, you don't usually see that. You know, usually you see yeah. multiple guys. They had sort of splashes of scoring yeah. like in the teams, like all over, up and down their roster. And then he was uh, the top guy with 28. So it's it's a good win. I still don't know what to make of the Pelicans. They're, they're a team that, confounds me every time i think that okay they got all three guys back here we go let's watch them they're so inconsistent primarily because i still just think zion williamson has so much more there from an effort standpoint i still don't know what i make of the pelicans and how how serious of a threat i think they would be if they played a best of seven against one of those top teams in the west i'm not sure we have no idea how they would look in that setting and hopefully we find out soon because you know how much i love their role players um, and by the way, you talking about why not drive because of how they officiate, like driving is the number one way to draw a foul, driving to the basket in, in today's yeah. NBA, where like any type of hand contact or whatever, it's so easy to get a call. So I think that's a really interesting point about if you don't have to be as skilled as you needed to be 15 years ago to become a slashing driver as a wing player, you don't have to be as good just because of the physicality. So um, there is a good point there. And I'll say. There's always a mold, and then it takes a few years for other teams, and you start to see that mold become more common. Best example, Steph Curry. Incredible pull-up three-point shooter. Nobody was shooting pull-up threes at volume. He starts doing it. Fast forward five years, and all of a sudden, everybody in the league has one player that's pulling up from three multiple times. I think we're in the era of this type of wing, where the the wing, the 6'8", two-way wing was such an anomaly said so the big the most important commodity in all of basketball and i feel like sneaky under the radar we're starting to see more and more of those talent the trey murphys of the world obviously herb jones on the team we're just seeing more of these like rangy six eight wings around the league and i kind of feel like that's what the league um 
the same way Steph Curry created a bunch of shooters, we're getting a bunch of two-way wings. Do you do you see that as well? Because it's a lot of teams look at that and say, man, we need a six-eight two-way guy. It's the most valuable commodity in sports. Yeah, that's definitely what the league is looking like now more and more. And I think what teams, more than anything else, what teams are uh, valuing is versatility. And they want to be able to put lineups on the floor that you've got same size switchability. And, and, and you know, it certainly, like I've said a hundred times, there's so many guys now that can make shots in this league. Uh, every right. roster's got more than they've ever had in this league. Um, so they, they want to find not only guys that can do that, but they want to be able to find guys that give you that sort of defensive versatility where you have options to play different lineups and you're not as worried about cross matches or mismatches. So I do think that's definitely where the league is going. If you're a 6'8", long-armed player right now in college, um, hone up your three-point shooting. And if you've got athletic ability, you're going to find a spot on a roster in the NBA because that, that seems to be the profile uh, more frequently than any other in the league right now. All righty, let's take a break on the other side. Quickly talk about the Pistons losing streak. The Lakers also on a losing streak. And then we'll get to our weekend preview here. Talk about who won the week and all those different things. In the chat, start letting us know who your nominees are for who won the week. Uh, but first, you guys know, we're all going to be gaining some weight over this next week. At least I know I'm going to be. So I'm also going to be spending a lot of money in the month of December. So what better way to get on budget and maybe to get on diet than with Factor Meals? They are America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, and they can help, help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. They have this great setup where every week they'll, they'll post a menu on their website. You go in there and you can click which meals you want, and then they're delivered straight to your door. So it's not doesn't get stale. You're not eating the same meal every single week. You're getting some different chef-inspired meals. And then whatever uh, diet you are, are you a vegetarian or a vegan? They have those options for you. Are you looking for shakes and smoothies? They have delicious shakes and smoothies for you. Are you looking for a keto diet or a protein plus or one of those meals? They've got all of those as well. And again, they update every week. Uh, you can choose from 35 plus chef-crafted meals every single week that support that healthy lifestyle. And when you're trying to plan a budget, Food can be a huge variable in that budget. Instead, you can go with Factor Meals and you can kind of set your budget month to month so you know what you're spending or at least have a better idea of what you're expending. So right now, head to factormeals.com slash allmba50 and use code allmba50 to get 50% off. That's code allmba50 at factormeals.com slash allmba50 to get 50% off. That link should be, by the way, in the description of the show, both on the podcast and on YouTube. Check out Factor Meals. Alrighty, let's get back into this and go with the Detroit Pistons. What a heartbreaker last night. 119 to 111, they fall. This was, I think, a two-point game or four, two or three-point game in the final minutes. And you thought, my goodness, is are the Pistons going to pull this out and finally get a win? They had lost 24 straight going into it. But unfortunately, the Jazz, shorthanded without Lowry Markinen. Um, still managed to get a win in Detroit, and it's looking like this Pistons team is just never going to win again. We previewed this a little bit yesterday and talked about it, but legs, 25 straight wins. Cade, after the game, said, hey, we're not a 2-26 and 26 team. That's not who we are. We're not good, but we're not this bad. Streaks, man, it's just momentum. And I look, watched this team lose last night, and I go, this is a team that is stuck in loss mode. And with their schedule coming up, I, I, I just don't know. What do you make of this and what do you make of their, their losing streak? Well, all right. So first, let's, let's think about something. I'm going to maybe uh, give you a, a thought that maybe people haven't considered here with the Pistons and what they're facing. 
what happens is when a team when a team is going through a tough stretch and they're losing games, or let's just say you know at any time of the year they're just considered to be one of the bottom feeders in the league or not a good team. You are susceptible to having a letdown as an opponent, okay, and not coming mm. out with the right energy and not coming out with the and, and now a team like that can can give you problems and then get a win against you, right? It happens all the time. Here's the thing, though, Adam. When it gets this bad, when it's yep. this historic, and when everybody is focused on the Pistons and this losing streak, guess what? You're now getting playoff-level intensity out of your opponents because yes, you don't want to be a team thing. to have this end against. It's amazing. And that, that probably starts somewhere when you get up into the you know, 10, 12, 13 loss range. And now, okay, this is the team coming into your building or you're going in to play them. And guess what? The coaching staff is talking about that number to their opponent in the shoot-around. Like, this team's lost right. 14 straight games. Understand? We are not losing this game tonight. So, And now, my goodness, now you're up in the north of 20, 20, what is it, 20, how many is it, 25? 20, it's 25, and 28 is the record. So they are, you know, they're on the doorstep. In straight. Exactly. And so now, and you can even see it last night, when that was a one-possession game with a few minutes to go, and I'm watching it, yeah. and I'm watching it, Utah's body language defensively, yeah. man, they were so up on their toes and so alert and so ready yeah. because that's what happens. It's the it's the embarrassment now for the opponent of losing to them that they're now going to get everybody's best punch because of the his, how historic this number is. And you obviously feel sick for everybody going through this. Young players that have, you know are going through it, any veterans on the team like Bogdanovich, you're watching him run off the right. court last night, and I'm thinking, man, this guy – on some really good teams in Utah, and now he's he's running off the court having lost 25 straight games. You feel terrible. I feel terrible for Monty Williams. I love Monty, man. I'm a big Monty Williams fan. I, he had some personal tragedy in his life that right. he's overcome. So, you, you know, that's always in the back of my mind every time they show Monty Williams. Just the fact that he's even coaching again with, with the losses that he has suffered in, in his family. And so you feel bad for all of these people. and But you do wonder, my goodness, when's it going to end? And then there's one other component, Adam. Because we talk so much about the, the scoring in this league, it's a problem now for Detroit because you're not going to win a game 92-88 just because you played harder than your opponent. That's not the way the league is set up, man. You better get to 120. 120. Some nights it might take 130. Right. And that's very difficult because they don't have that kind of team. So now on an average night, you know, it's a 128, you know, 122 game. It's very hard for them to get to the number they're going to need to get to just to get a win because the way the league is set up and every team can score and put up numbers on you. And now they've got this, this albatross in front of them, the scouting report. Nobody wants to be the team that this streak gets broken against. And that's what the Pistons are facing now. That part is such a drag, man, is the pressure. You're right. It is on everyone's radar that you don't want to be this team. And they have tough games coming up. We mentioned Brooklyn. They got a couple against Brooklyn. Maybe they can sneak one in there. But uh, I just feel bad for this team because I like Cade Cunningham. I like a lot of the players on the team. But you could see it in the body language. Those guys are wearing this losing streak. And they're young. You know, a lot of the guys you mentioned, Bogdanovich and some of the veterans, but there's a lot of young guys on there. And I don't know that a run like this can break your confidence forever. But it certainly can texture the, you know, your your season and how you feel about things. And and I just see Cade, I see Osser Thompson, and I see uh, uh, Isaiah Stewart. I see a lot of these young guys that just feel the weight of the world on them right now. And um, 
you know, I feel for him. It's such a tough way to develop a I team. And then say, obviously, I will, I will say this: I have a little bit of experience. I was on a really bad team in Dallas, and we, you know, we had some long losing streaks that season. And ninety-three, ninety-four, and you know, I, it doesn't do permanent damage. Now, for we yeah, were the youngest yeah. team in the league, same, and we, we even had some guys that were kind of coming up out of the, 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 the CBA, the G League, and trying to make names for themselves. And some of those guys, because of that experience, weren't able to transition that into something else. Now, I was. I was able to leave there, go to Washington, and, you know, was on a team that made the playoffs. And it's amazing if you get there, whether it's in Detroit for these guys or somewhere else, man, do you appreciate the fact that you're on a competitive team after going through that. And what I saw last night, to your point, the body language, they're going to be fine, right, hanging in there if it's a one-possession game. And they're they, especially in the fourth quarter, and they're going to play hard. They're going to think, okay, man, we're going to tonight's tonight. We're going to get this game. As soon as it gets to like six, you know, that's when you start to see it. It looks right, insurmountable, definitely. and that's not in the NBA. That's the thing. Like you can erase right. ten point deficits in three, four minutes in this league now with all the three point shooting. But for a team that is so consistently used to losing, when going from like a two point game to a six or seven point game feels like it's 30 yep. because it's slipping away. And that's what I saw in their body language yep. last night. It was slipping through their fingers. And then the, the resolve just isn't there. And that's yeah. what you feel for them. You just wonder, man, when's this going to end? And what is their reaction going to be once it does end? Like, that's what you want right. to see, man. Right now, obviously, they just don't want to be break the record. Right. I didn't get to 27 at this point, right? They just want to, to just please – not 28 or more. That's what they're looking at. Certainly not 29 and be the only team to lose that many games in a row. So uh, let's hope they get one in the next two uh, or three games. That's I'm really hoping that. That's my Christmas wish for the Detroit Pistons. I don't want to see anybody go through this. Me too. And, and, and honestly, this, this also sucks that they're now the pity team that everyone's kind of pulling for, right? So they're, they just can't, they can't help it right now. Um, another team that can't help themselves, the Los Angeles Lakers, who are – dangerously close to becoming a 500 team. They're at 15 and 14 after falling to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Timberwolves uh, get a bounce back game after falling to the 76ers. Both teams uh, were on a second night of a back-to-back. -back. No LeBron James in this one. Anthony Davis played 39 minutes in this game on a second night of a back-to-back, -back, which I feel is noteworthy. But at the end of the day, Minnesota did not play well in this game. But they did enough down the stretch to, to pull it out, especially Anthony Edwards, who I thought had a pretty good last five minutes. He had a pretty bad last 30 seconds or so, but he had up to that, he was sitting the table. Um, what, but I just want to ask you about the Lakers real quick. Coming out of that stretch, this, this game aside, just coming out of that uh, tournament, they've now lost four in a row. They look exhausted. After the last after last night's game, not or two nights ago, LeBron James talked about how mentally and physically tired the entire team is. Legs, it's not even Christmas yet. Um, no, no. Any updated, any updated thought here? I mean, they don't. It doesn't get easy. They have Oklahoma City tonight. And by the way, Anthony Davis called this game a must win. <laughs> I, I have, I have a rule. If you're talking about games as a must win before Christmas, you're in trouble. Like you shouldn't have must win games here. But I kind of agree with them. Four in a row, you can't lose five. And then you got Boston after that. I think they're in a tight spot. First of all, how can you label any game a must win if LeBron James isn't playing? I mean, what are you talking about? How how can it be a must win? It, it's a it's a I don't even expect to win if LeBron's not playing against that team. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. Look, and and we're going to talk about this all year with the Lakers. It's it, it just the mentality on this group 
is going to be different in regular season. And that means, listen, in this West, that could get you in some trouble. Last year, going into the trading deadline, and they kind of reworked their roster a little bit, and they made some additions, right? And, and, and also, I think a big part of their second half surge and, and how they ended up making a run the way that they did in the playoffs, I think Austin Reeves was a completely different player by the time you got to February, March, and April than he was at the beginning of the season. So, you, so in essence, you added an, you know, another guy that was on your team all year, but he was a new player. Uh, and yeah. he, he was playing as well as he was down the stretch. And they make this run, and they go all the way to the conference finals, right? And and they get swept, but I didn't think there was any chance, to, you know, midseason the Lakers were going to be a conference finalist. Problem is, they've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And on a, any given night, when those two guys are healthy and playing really hard, they can beat any team in this league. And I think they know that. And so there is there going to be that push on a nightly basis in the regular season to prove that? No. There's a lot of teams in this league that still are trying to prove something, that they have the sustainability of intensity to do this over the course of an entire season. Minnesota is one of those teams. And that's an impressive win for me, even though they didn't play well. They got it handed to them by Philly. They couldn't guard that team. This is a team that's, you know, a best record in the West. They want to make noise. You come back and you win this game. No matter what it takes, you beat the Lakers without LeBron James. In a back-to-back, after we played against Philly, it says something on Minnesota. But that's a team, foot on the gas, foot on the gas, foot on the gas. Oklahoma City, young players, foot on the gas all the time. You're You're always trying to prove yourself. Lakers aren't trying to prove anything. And that's going to get you into trouble in the regular season aggressively not trying to prove anything i think um let's get in though to the weekend here and first let's do like we always do on fridays and look at who won the week who won the week in the association this week for you uh legs we have a couple uh nominees here i might be throwing this one up a little bit early here uh emma but let me get the legs first legs who do you have winning the week well, I know they lost last night, but I'm going with the Clippers. Um, they didn't have Kawhi last night in Oklahoma City, but they had three wins since the last time we did this, and three good wins uh, at Indiana, uh, at Dallas, and the Knicks. And there's no mistaking it. The Clippers, and it's always going to hinge on Kawhi Leonard's availability, and he's been very healthy this year. Uh, they have more than enough talent to contend yeah. in the West, and they're putting it all together. And, and look, Harden's been playing very well lately, um, and it does give them an, an extra punch in the regular season because guys can miss nights, and you've got this other dynamic offensive player you added. I, we'll see. You know, I have big question marks about James Harden showing up in the playoffs. Now, in this lane, if he's your third-best guy, maybe he doesn't feel anywhere near the pressure and he plays great in the postseason. I, I still have to see that to believe it. This is always going to hinge on Kawhi Leonard for me, and he's been healthy, looking great, and right now the Clippers – are one of those both ends of the floor type teams that can be scary. And they had a great week this week, and they've been on a roll, obviously one of the hottest teams in the league here over the last three weeks. They're going to have an interesting January. They're going to have some tests coming up. Uh, Even this weekend, they play Boston. I'm going to talk about that game here in a second, but um, I think they're a great candidate, even though they did just lose this last one. For me, uh, I'm going to go with the Chicago Bulls. Another team, 3-0 and this week. They beat the 76ers, they beat the Lakers, and they beat the Spurs. 76ers and Lakers, those are good wins. You know, everybody's beating the Spurs right now. They have, since Zach Levine went out, legs, they have two three-game win streaks. I know that's not a high bar, but they did not have back-to-back wins at all at any point this season until Zach Levine went out, and now they have two three-game winning streaks. 
So to me, they're one of those really good stories. I just love the Bulls of story right now. And like we talked about with Memphis, we counted them out. You know, they were they were they were out of the play-in conversation. Well, lo and behold, here they are, just a half game now outside of 10th in short order. They did this in two weeks, legs. So for me, I, I gotta tip my hat to the uh, Bulls. I just am I'm impressed with what they've been doing. No, that's a good call. And, and they they were a team that was a train wreck. I mean, remember, you know, this is a team meeting after the first game. Okay, so this is how we started yeah. the year right. for Chicago, started the season for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, team meetings, and then immediately pretty much transitioned into blow the whole thing up. Everybody's for sale. Uh, it looks like this thing's going completely off the rails. And I'm not saying it's because Zach Levine sat down, but coincidentally, Zach Levine's not playing, and they're playing much better. And Kobe White's been unbelievable. And it only takes, as you say this all the time, you talk about momentum, it only takes a few wins uh, yeah. in a short order in one week. And, and you just feel totally different about yourself when it's this early in the season. And so, yeah, I think that's a good choice on your part. And unlike, you know, we were talking about Memphis and the road they have to climb, you still have to pass teams like the Warriors, the Lakers, the Suns, the, you know, maybe the Rockets. But there aren't a lot of teams there that you think, oh, they're they're bad. You know, those teams are going to really fall. Whereas with Chicago, you know, the Cavs, the Pacers, the Nets, the Hawks, none of those are exactly like proven teams that we know are going to be great in the second half of the season. So the Bulls. A great story, and you know they still have Zach Levine to trade, which they could get back some players that help them to continue this winning streak. We'll see. Wild that neither one of us picked John Morant, who returned from suspension and had a game winner in his first game. He could have very easily won the week, and none of neither of us picked Joel Embiid, who put 51 points up on the number one defense and number one defensive front court in the NBA. Both of those guys are candidates uh, that could have won. Embiid lost to Chicago. I think he went one and one this week. So you, you could look at that, but the one win was a huge win. Uh, you got to tip your hat to him. And then let's get to the Friday and Saturday slate Friday. There's a handful of games, but the one I singled out Suns at Kings. I love this game. Ike Phoenix Suns searching for a little momentum, searching for anything to kind of stabilize Sacramento. I feel has had a little bit of a tough road here recently. Just they've lost some games that felt like measuring stick games. I feel like this is a big game for both teams. It's rare that you get a game this early in the season that feels big for both teams, but I think this one is big for both of them. What do you think about that? Suns at Sacramento. I completely agree. I mean, for, for Phoenix, it's you know, you're always trying to separate right now the distance from the 500 mark. They lose this game, they're 500. So, you know, you get two games above that. It's just weird. That's a totally different feeling than being 500. And for Sacramento, we talked about we crushed them the other day. They give up almost 150 points yeah. at home to – Pacers, it's just, you know, or to Boston without Tatum, um, just, you know, really un- unheard of to, to allow that to happen to you with a team, without a team's best players. We've beaten them, beaten them up pretty good. So this is a chance for them to reclaim some relevance, you know, and, and, and remind us of what, you know, what, what they did a year ago and, and what, they're, what they're capable of from a fire, uh, firepower standpoint. One other game that's interesting to me tonight, the Golden State Warriors, who have been, you know, just so maligned, playing better – yeah. Got the Wizards at home, and you got a chance to get to 500. And when you look at where they were a couple weeks ago, I don't think anybody would have predicted they could be sitting here at 500 before Christmas. Right. And they've got a chance to do that. Not only a chance, they, they, you talk about must win. If you can't beat a 5 and 22 team at home with a chance to get to 500 going into the Christmas game, um, you know, shame on you. So I, I think I'm looking at that one as hey, Warriors, you can look up at the end of this, and all the smoke clears, and they, they survived this early season and they're at 500 
and going into a, a, a marquee Christmas matchup as well. So yeah. I, I'm looking at that game as well for Golden State and, and saying, hey, well done here over the last couple of weeks to fight. You know, this is a team that's a, they got a lot of championship medal in that locker room, man, and they, they weren't going out like this. And they got Draymond right. out for who knows how long, and they are fighting their tails off to try to stay in the mix there in the West, and they have a chance to get to 500 tonight. This is a bad team in Washington, but it is a Jordan Poole homecoming, which makes this game a little bit more interesting. You know, obviously he didn't leave on the best terms. Draymond not there tonight, ironically, uh, or maybe not so ironically, but that makes this game, usually you would look at this and say, Warriors at home versus Washington. What are we talking about? This is a blowout win. But I do think the Jordan Poole factor plays a little bit of a piece in this. And then Saturday legs, crazy blasphemous for me to say. When I was doing preparing for the show, the Saturday slate might be better than the Christmas Day slate when you look <laughs> at some of these games. I'm going to start with this. The Bucks at the Knicks. Well, hold on a second. That's the Christmas Day game as well. How the hell did the NBA do a double header Bucks at Knicks? Play on Saturday and then again on Christmas. If you had the Christmas game first and then you played again, say, two days later, that would be dumb, but at least I'd understand it. How weird is it that a marquee game is going to be the second time teams face each other in two days. I find that no so clue. bizarre. No clue. It, it, look, those Christmas Day games are so hyped. They have a reveal for the schedule, like in the summer. Right. Okay. Right. That's how much they're hyping these games. Yeah. So you have so much time to make sure that all of those matchups on Christmas, none of those teams should have played each other in the previous like three weeks because totally. it wants to feel fresh. Right, you want to feel yep. fresh, not like oh, I just saw this on Saturday, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch it. So, completely agree with you. Then you got Celtics Clippers Saturday as well. Man, that's that's the three thirty game. That's a big um, one, man. That, yeah, that's that's a huge game, and you know expect to have Kawhi out there. Hopefully, both teams full strength, and that's gonna be that's gonna be you know a preview of two teams that could do a lot of damage here uh, in the playoffs. So today, you know the the Clippers beat the Nuggets. That was a pretty good win. And they beat the, uh, let's see, they who else did they get? They had one other big win. Sacramento, they've gotten here recently. Um, yeah, Sacramento. It was Sacramento that they beat. So they get Sacramento and they get Denver. Those are pretty good wins. They beat the Knicks. They beat the Pacers, the Mavs. Like some, oh, some pretty mediocre, pretty good teams. Not great. This would be their best win. Like when we yeah. talk about this, the, the Clippers have figured it out. At home against Boston, if you pick that one up, I think we're going to have to start talking about the Clippers having really proved something here. So I had that one as well. By the way, Magic at Pacers. I like that game a lot. Uh, feels like uh, the Pacers are reeling. They need a win. And Magic, this could be another one of those, you know, stacking good Eastern Conference wins against the teams they might be matching up in a playoff against. Grizzlies-Hawks. We mentioned this one the other day, but that murderer's row that Memphis has coming up, the Hawks is by far the easiest of those games. John Morant, Trey Young, I just feel like that's a fun matchup, and I, I feel like this is a lot oh, yeah. of pressure on Memphis. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, with with some of the games we talked about they've got coming up, this is one you'd look at in the next five and say this is the easiest game, uh, and it won't yeah. be because Atlanta can put up big numbers, and Trey Young is certainly going to be hyped for that game. You know, with John Morant, the yep. attention he's getting right now, and that, yep. all those point guards, man, when they go head-to-head, especially when they're scoring point guards and they go head-to-head yep. -head against each other, they're always trying to make a statement and drop the mic. And that's what uh, Trey Young is going to try to do. So that could be a very entertaining shootout between those two guys. Cavs at Bulls, I think, is a great one. The Cavs have been reeling a little bit. The Bulls are streaking. And that's another one where if you're the Bulls, you win that game, you might be in the playoff hunt, So, which would be an emotional 
you know, getting over the hump, which would be a big one. And then the Cavs are not that much ahead of the Bulls. So this could be a, one of those games where the Cavs are reeling. They have some injuries. The Donovan Mitchell thing can start to become a distraction. This would be a big hit to the Cavs if the Bulls can get them. Lakers at Thunder, as I mentioned, Anthony Davis called it a must win. Uh, so I'm going to say that's a pretty big game. And then my favorite one, Wolves at Kings. A good front courts, uh, some good centers going at each other. I think this is a great matchup and feels like a measuring stick game for both teams. Wolves going on the road to Sacramento. Sacramento desperately needing to beat one of these top teams. I think that one has the potential to be the game of the weekend. I agree with you. And I think uh, I'm looking at Minnesota in that one and saying, okay, you know, this is a team in Sacramento. They can really roll you at home. Uh, they get they can put up serious numbers. Like they can go for 75 in the first yeah. half. They do it. They do it fairly regularly. It's north of 70 in the first half of a game. The energy is electric. You're coming in there 21 and six, and you have uh, you know this top flight defense. And this is a team that you could see down the road. I mean, there, there, there's going to be battles right. between these two teams, and not just this year. Like going forward, like these are two teams going to be kind of in each other's way a little bit. Uh, this is a big time statement game, I think, for Minnesota to go yep, in there in that environment and hold them down and keep them to a winnable number and get that. I, and I just think Minnesota, every time I watch them, that's kind of how I'm feeling that they're approaching this. Everything is everything is just, hey, we belong. This is where we're supposed to be. And you have to have that professional approach night in and night out. No slip ups, no lack of effort, no distractions tonight where we just didn't have it or we were flat. No, that's not what championship-type teams do. You've got to come out of the same level of intensity. I'm looking at that in that game more than anything. That does it for us, guys. A full week of great shows. One of our best weeks I feel that we've had. Obviously, Legs' return has uh, highlighted. Like John ja Morant, Legs comes in and goes undefeated with a couple game winners. Hey, why did uh, I win the week for you then? You should have had me win the I week. Should have, <laughs> I should have had Tim Legler won the week for sure. Man. Yes. Um, everybody, we appreciate you tuning in. Don't forget, dropping tomorrow is going to be our Christmas game preview where we look at some of the bets and just kind of deep dive because that's such a big day in the NBA. We're going to be off on Monday, but on Tuesday, we will be recapping those games. So everybody, have yourselves a great holiday, great Christmas, and we will see you guys again on the other side. Like the mayor.